0: Welcome to the first Sunday of the new decade. I love the new year. I love that everyone has a newfound ambition to accomplish their goals. I love that the gym is a busy place once again because everyone is committed to living their best life. I love that everyone is focused. Focused on what is best for them. Focused on what is best for their family, for their their communities. They're just focused on their mission and their vision for the coming year. Today, we're going to look at Jesus, the focus of Jesus. As we all think about our New Year's resolutions and all the goals we are going to accomplish, I would like to encourage us to think about what it is that God might be calling us to in the new year. What is it that God is calling us to individually and as a community in 2020? What is our 2020 vision for ourselves and for this faith community? The good news that we celebrate this morning is the truth that God has a plan for each one of us. The good news that we celebrate is that God has a plan for each one of us. Speaking of things that I love, I love that it's part of the regular rhythm here at ECC to begin every new year reading through one of the Gospels together together as a faith community. I I think if we're serious about following Jesus, it's important that we read about the life and the words of Jesus throughout the Gospels. And so as we launch into 2020, we'll be spending a significant amount of time reading through the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. Mark, each Gospel has a unique perspective on the work and the ministry of Jesus. And so from now until Easter, we will be reading through uh, Mark's perspective. Mark, uh, last week, <clears throat> Stacy got us started talking about John the Baptist. John sets the stage for Jesus' ministry. Mark's gospel is sometimes called the missionary gospel or the evangelist gospel because Mark is ultimately concerned about the bones of the gospel. Mark wants to communicate clearly. The life and the work of Jesus Christ. Mark wants everyone to know the fullness of the gospel and focuses specifically on Jesus' work. Mark does not even include a birth narrative for Jesus. We're just thrown right into the work and the mission of John the Baptist. And then we see that John the Baptist is thrown into prison. Jesus is calling his disciples. And then Jesus calls everyone to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Seeing as we're going through the entirety of the gospel between now and Easter, uh, it's necessary that we take some significant sections of scripture each Sunday morning. And so we will not be able to preach through every story in the gospel of Mark. So I would like to echo Stacy's charge to you last week that if you are not currently receiving, the daily uh, emails with our Scripture. Sign up on the back of your communication card this morning. At the top, there's a box that you check and then circle daily email Scriptures. Every morning, you'll get an email around 6 a.m. that will walk us through the Gospel of Mark so you will keep up with where we are in the Gospel even if we can't preach through all of the stories from the pulpit. You'll at least get to see uh, the fullness of Mark's Gospel because if we're going to be a faith community that follows uh, the way of Jesus, it's important that we read the words and the message of Jesus. Mark has packed his gospel fill, full of, of the work of Jesus. Uh, this first chapter is no exception. As we've heard from our children this morning, the text is filled with amazing stories. Today's text, uh, from verses 21 through 45, breaks down nicely into four uh, little scenes of the story. First, Jesus drives out an impure spirit. Then Jesus heals many people as he and his disciples are leaving the synagogue, continuing to heal once they get into the home. The next morning, Jesus prays in a quiet space in the morning. And then the first chapter concludes by Jesus healing a man with leprosy. So in verses 21 through 28, we have Jesus and his disciples entering the city of Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus goes to the synagogue to begin teaching, and everyone in the synagogue is amazed at Jesus' teaching because He doesn't teach like they're used to. Verse 22 says that the people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority. You see, Jesus did not teach as the teachers of the law taught. He taught not quoting someone else. He taught of His own words. His proclamations were not quotations. They were His own words proclamation so that was the authority that he had and they were amazed at his teachings then the immediate result of his preaching and teaching that day was not harmony but division and strife we'll hear more about this more of these divisions later in the gospel of mark as well so we have jesus teaching in the synagogue as soon as they get into the city And then this man cries out in a loud voice. So I imagine the scene is much like this scene here where Jesus is teaching and everyone is listening with undivided attention and then this man cries out in the the room and says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And everyone in the room is likely confused as to who would be interrupting Jesus. Jesus. Jesus sternly silences the man by saying, be quiet. A more literal translation of the Greek for be quiet is be muzzled. It's a strong and blunt statement. But throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see countless times where Jesus is asking people to be quiet about their proclamations of his identity. Often, Jesus would heal people, and when they would leave, he would ask them not to share about his healing. Some scholars refer to it as the messianic secret. Jesus wanted people to hear His teaching and His preaching for what it was, not because He was some uh, sort of spectacle. And I believe Jesus knew that if word truly got out about His identity, uh, the crowds would be debilitating to His future ministry in smaller spaces. Uh, We get a glimpse of it in verse 45. It says, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. So anyways, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus finishes teaching in the synagogue. They leave the synagogue and go to Simon and Andrew's home. And immediately, the disciples come to Jesus to let him know that Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a fever and in bed. So Jesus goes to her, takes her by the hand, and helps her to stand. And as so often in the Gospel narrative, simply, instantly upon the touch of Jesus, the sickness leaves her body. And she's very grateful to it, and begins to serve Jesus and the disciples at the table. So we have Jesus healing the mother, and now she begins to serve them. And now as the Sabbath comes to a close and the sun has set, people begin bringing all of the sick and demon-possessed people to Simon and Andrew's house. It says the whole town was gathered at the door and Jesus was healing and casting out demons. Every demon that Jesus would cast out, he would command their silence because it says they knew who he was. They, meaning the demons, knew who Jesus was and all such demonic testimony was non-voluntary and unwilling recognition by the powers of darkness. Jesus did not want the demons proclaiming his identity. He wanted his disciples and his followers to proclaim his identity, which we will see later in the Gospel of Mark as well. So Jesus had a pretty full day, and then early the next morning, Jesus wakes up while it is still dark, goes off to a quiet place to pray. Reading through these first 13 verses of today's text, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted for Jesus. He just entered the city with his new disciples that he just called. He's preaching in the synagogue. He's driving out demons in the synagogue. He's healing people on the streets outside of the synagogue after he's taught all day. He's healing people in the home of Simon and Andrew. And then late into the evening, people continue to come, and he continues to heal and cast out demons throughout the whole day. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, we see Him spending time in solitary. It's possible that Jesus understood the importance of prayer and time spent in solitude, but it's also possible that Jesus knew that we needed to see Him uh, an example of this rejuvenating activity so that we could follow Him in word and deed. For me, practicing the Sabbath and rest is one of the more difficult practices. I'm wired to always want to be doing something else, accomplishing the next goal or the next task. And the idea of resting or taking a Sabbath is one that doesn't generally get the priority it should. Maybe some of you can relate as well. But I have to imagine the ministry of Jesus was exhausting. There are certain days of the week that I go home at the end of the day, some Sundays or Wednesdays when I'm exhausted and need to rest at the end of the day. Jesus, as we have seen, has done a lot the day prior. And now He's in solitary sitting with His Father. The quiet moment does not appear to have lasted very long, though. And if you have children, you might be able to relate to verses 35 and 36. Sometimes, I will speak for myself, parents need a quiet moment to regroup and recalibrate. But it seems that as soon as you find that hiding place, I mean quiet place, you hear the heavy footsteps coming toward the door because everyone is looking for you. For me, it's in the laundry room because there's gummy worms there. Um, But as soon as you find the quiet space, they come and are looking for you. So it's early morning, verse 35 says, Jesus got up while it was still dark, left the house, and went into the solitary place where he prayed. Verse 36 immediately follows, Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I mean, I I believe that everyone was looking for Jesus after the ministry day he had the day prior, healing and casting out demons throughout the town I believe that everyone was seeking to find Jesus. Mark sets the stage for Jesus' ministry quite well in his Gospel. Jesus has healed many people. Cast out demons. And then I think that verse 38 sets the tone for the whole mission and ministry of Jesus. Although Jesus could have filled His ministry completely with healing and casting out demons, that is not what Jesus understood His mission and ministry to be. Verse 38 is like the vision statement for Jesus. Jesus says to His disciples, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach and teach there also. This is why I have come. Jesus has come to preach and to teach about the kingdom of God. The prophet Isaiah spoke Jesus' purpose well in Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So it's early morning. Jesus is out praying with His Father. And Jesus has clarity for what His mission and His vision was. The disciples were distracted about what the people in the town wanted from Jesus. But Jesus knew that it was time for them to move on from that place. It's easy to get distracted by good things. But sometimes it's the good things that distract us from what it is that God has designed us for. Maybe in that brief moment of solitary praying with the Father, there was clarity that it was time to move on. I have three things on my to-do list every day. When I get to the office, there are three things that I intend to do before I start anything else. The first three things are pray for purpose and action throughout the day. Then I check my calendar, and then I choose today's top tasks. This is my way of calibrating my actions and my intentions with God's plan for me. It's easy to get distracted by the busyness of tasks in life. I could easily fill my whole day moving from task to task, accomplishing a lot without ever considering how God might have wanted to order my day. Unless I take time to sit with God in the morning and silence the competing voices in my life, I may miss out on what God is doing. I have a spiritual director that I meet with regularly, and he also helps me to accomplish this Christ-centered calibration. One of the questions my spiritual director asks me often is, what is the invitation from God in that? So when you meet with a spiritual director, you talk about your life, maybe some of the challenges you're going through, and, and their role is to help you see how God is working in and through uh, those areas of your life. And so my spiritual director will ask me, what is the invitation that God is inviting me to uh, in some of the struggles in, or, or circumstances? It's been a fruitful relationship for me in continuing to calibrate my mission and ministry for what God has for me. Jesus was one with God, yet He still spent time in solitude praying with God. Jesus understood with clarity That to have clarity of vision in what his ministry and life was to look like, he needed to slow down and spend time with his Father. Instead of getting consumed with the busyness of what people wanted for Jesus, Jesus spent time with the Father to see what the Father wanted for Jesus. If you have a standard vision without corrective lenses, you have 20-20 vision. That assessment is an eye assessment at 20 feet and so if your eyes are deemed standard, you have 20-20 vision. If you have 2100 vision, it means that you can see something at 20 feet that someone with standard vision could see at 100 feet. And I know as we enter this new year, 2020, we don't all have standard vision without corrective lenses in our eyes. But I believe it's possible that we can all have 20-20 vision for what God has for us individually and as a community. Jesus shows us in today's passage that to have clarity of vision, we must spend time in prayer and in solitude. We must silence the competing voices that are all around us that are blurring our vision and focus on God's voice. I believe that prayer can serve as the corrective lens for our heart and for our actions in life. Jesus spends time in prayer with His Father And he knows that it's time for him to move on from that place and continue moving the mission forward. What is it that God is calling you to in 2020? What is your 2020 vision for yourself, for your family, for this faith community? Have you spent time with God discerning what that vision looks like? As we embark on a new decade and a new year, I challenge us to spend time praying with God about what it is that He is calling us to. Maybe you have clarity of the vision that God has for you. How can you help someone else find their clarity? As we prepare to take communion this morning, I want us to spend a few moments in silence asking God to speak to us. Ask God to show you the plans He has for you. Ask Him to show you what His vision is for this coming year. And then after a few moments of silence, I will close this in prayer, and then we will celebrate together the Lord's Supper, remembering that Christ is with us. Christ is willing to guide our paths into 2020 if we allow Him. So let's spend some time in silence asking God to reveal His plans for us.